Today's show is sponsored by Marriage Supply. Now, Marriage Supply is a place for lovers, man. And I mean that. Lovers is such a nice word. Like, it's like you're in love, but it also means a little extra. And that little extra is a place. I think so. Well, Marriage Supply is a place for lovers to search and browse a a curated selection of toys, lubes, and candles, all for couples. And it's all in a porn-free environment. So you can go check that out right now. MarriageSupply.com. Today's show is also sponsored by the 69 Challenge. Uh, a lot of you have heard about uh, what we've been doing. Uh, 69 days to get healthy, to change your life a little bit, to do some stuff. Um, we're just kind of, so is the, Matt, this is a soft rollout. Uh, next week, we'll give you a few more details where to sign up and what's going on. But we this is an announcement. Yeah, this is an announcement. It's going to go live. We're going to start BC, the 69. Uh, on 420, obviously, which is the best day uh, known to man on in some states. <laughs> so stay tuned. Uh, the 69 Challenge is going to be really awesome. There's going to be a few new tweaks, a few new interesting uh, components of what's going to happen with the challenge. So stay tuned. Next week, we'll give you even more details. Yep. Well, it's old Mark Crispin Miller, uh, and I heard him on the Red Scare podcast, and his story is just so fascinating, and I just love the way he uh expresses what he's been through and how he talks about uh i mean propaganda how he talks about teaching how much he loves teaching and then now he's in a lawsuit with nyu because his class some people uh didn't enjoy his class that much i'll just leave it at that he'll explain some more but it's particularly just one person but uh and so now he's kind of fighting to remain a teacher and and uh see what he can do so we'll have him on here in a little bit but uh it's going to be a fascinating story just to hear a professor teaching a class and that class might have cost him his career isn't that crazy that that just seems that seems wild i don't know what people expect anymore out of free speech or what they can handle anymore i I just don't know i saw a comedian telling a joke about how funny it was that like if your grandparents ever showed you a picture it was like this is when uh, we built the house with our own bare hands and mm-hmm. had to carry, you know, all that. And now when, when grandparents, like my, when my kids are grandparents and they, they show their grandkids pictures, it'll be of their like dinner they had at a restaurant or something. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. we, we have moved into an entirely different opulent world where opulent, like we are the center like that. I think that's what probably causes most of the issues. I'm the center of my world. And so when you try mm-hmm. to infringe upon that, who the hell are you? I'm 
I'm the center, not you. So you must be wrong. You know what I mean? I see that with every, I, I see that not only in my own life, with my parents' life, with the grandparents. Like, I mean. Are you saying people used to be less that way, and now that we're more that way, it's You used to have conflict. to rely on your neighbor. You, do you remember growing up and people would say, yeah, yeah go go get some uh, milk from our neighbor because we're out or something. Or, you know, like you, you could trust them to watch your kids for or a minute or something. Or you could maybe go knock on their door. They might just come over. Right. Like, it used to be people just come, you know, it was. Right. Now, what, just come now, over now we have more people around you, and you know them less. And, yeah. and the government tells you don't trust the person to the, that you live near, or, or you know, or the or, or this your neighboring state. Don't trust them because they're a blue state or they're a red state or whatever. I mean, it, it's just outrageous. Like Charles Barkley just talked about that, and it kind of went a little viral. He's, he was saying that he thinks that most black people and white people are good people, and our government profits on making us war against each other. And it really, I mean, that sounds conspiratorial, but in some sense, it. I mean, don't. Regular Americans have way more in common than their the government officials who don't care about. I mean, a, a government makes money regardless of if uh, your business goes under. You know what I mean? They're going to get paid no matter what. So they just don't they don't have the same amount of investment. And I just I mean incentive at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's just and it's but we've all become more individualistic. And I'm I'm that way. I like the ind- rugged individualism is up my alley. Like I I have to. I've always been, <laughs> but that doesn't well, was, mean disconnected from your neighbor. No, it doesn't. But the, but it's tank. We are more consumer individualistic overall, and that and there's things about that that could be good. But one of the bad things is, yeah, it come you come into way more conflict with other people right. when they bump up into your sphere because your sphere is just you. It's right. really not your whole group of people. That makes more sense. Like if if like you said before. If all the celebrations of your family and your memories are these big things that you did, as a is like you can see what a, a collectivist society would have looked like. We've gone so yeah. individualistic that you can almost now see, which always sounded normal, like oh, we get to have our own this, we yeah. get to have our own that. But we've gone so far that way that you can go, man, it would be nice to be a collectivist society somehow. Right? You can almost see that. And I remember when I was young, always being told. Well, you think you're the center of the world, son, that, you know, the world doesn't revolve around you. But, I mean, it kind of does. I never really understood that because, from my point of view, it does. Now, I want to be engaged with other people and do good, but it would be weird for me to pretend that I'm not the center of my universe, wouldn't it? How would I not be that? Yes. That doesn't mean, I mean. No, I think, yes, you're saying that. But that can only last to a certain extent when you, if if you don't allow anybody in your universe to actually provoke thought in your mind. Yeah, no, yeah, that's but I'm what just I'm saying. saying. Like, from, like, like for example, you're the center of your universe, but mm-hmm. I'm always poking you. Right, right. I'll let you. It, so, yeah. So if if you didn't have me, you'd be really fucked. That's if right. If you didn't have me and Bridget, your wife. I'd be screwed. You, yeah, of you really would be screwed. And so you know that to a certain level, even though you're the center of your universe, you right. at least know. Wait, I got to have somebody bring me back down. It doesn't even mean I'm selfish. People though. are getting I, I there think, where they don't need. They think they don't need that anymore, and that's what's dangerous. Yeah. I don't think that's negative selfishness to just accept my point of view that I am have, and then I have right. to decide what's healthy to interact with people and society. That's on me, right? You know what I mean. But to 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 not understand how individual you've become is when you're totally blind and lost and isolated. Like if you, if you are individualistic and you don't know it, 
Well, that's even that's even more dangerous, I think. So I think we're in a very dangerous time where people think uh, if somebody says something, I have to really take it as some kind of truth and valid, and it means something about. That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, I, I think that we are really weak. I think I, I think I'm a much weaker person than generations before me. I don't. I can't mm-hmm. handle much at all. And when I have to handle something, I don't handle it well. And so that I mean, it's not. It's not good. I don't think we're strong. I don't think we're we're tough. I don't think that that we can we can band together and get through stuff. So I don't know what that means. I mean, there'll be a time where we'll have to, and either we will or we won't. But I mean, well, we certainly prefer not to. We'll see if we ever have to. Can we really? You yeah, know, but the pandemic ain't enough to get us to work together. No, well, that's what I'm saying. The, the pandemic, the, pan- the pandemic made it worse. Who do you trust now? That's what, you know what I mean. Like, who do you who do you want to hang out with? Together with anybody? Who do you want to risk <laughs> hanging out with? I mean, that has to be yeah. really. You know what I mean? Like, it has to mean something to hang out with somebody now. Well, it'll be worth it. I'm I'm going to take this risk to go do that or whatever. I feel like, and I mean, you don't. If we didn't trust each other before, whatever party lines you land on or whatever side you land on or whatever, I mean, you're not going to trust somebody more in the future. I think we're trusting each other less. We do. We are not United States. That's the biggest laugh I've ever had in my life. The United States yeah. is the, the least united we've ever been. I mean, and it's probably the end of an empire, right? I mean, this is what it is. And we I didn't think growing up that America would end, but nobody thinks any any <laughs> empire would concluded end. that first of all, it's in worse my than, lifetime. than 1861. Right. And also that uh is I guess it's essentially ended. Yeah. But but I mean, but, but think about it. In general, don't people mostly think British people? Oh, they're nice. They're funny. I like their accents. They're good. You know, they did. You know, they're good people. But I mean, at some point, they're like, "Fuck Britain, we're out of here." Now you're gonna come yeah. over here. You know, I mean, like, we, you know, it, we had to fight for our independence and all this. I mean, it's just it's going to happen. And I don't I don't know what it'll look like in the future. I mean, you don't you wouldn't bet money that what in a hundred years will be the United States. Would you bet money on Not, that? Yeah, I, I don't think I'd want to put any money on it. No, I no, don't. I don't, but, I don't think so. But, but I don't know what the odds would be. But in name, because it's not like you do the American experiment, and it's not, you know, it's not like you. It's not like anybody ever says, "Well, we tried," and then right. let's just disband. <laughs> like that doesn't exist. And right. any like England didn't even do, even if they decolonialized or let people become sovereign. Kinda. I mean, they didn't. I mean, still not right. really, right? Yeah. Like, and that's been hundreds and hundreds of years. <laughs> anyway. I mean, they still fight about that all the time. England does. And Great Britain. And who right. is it? And who isn't it? And fuck you. You know? So, it's and we might do it for hundreds of more years. You know? What about Israel? They got it almost right. sorted? Right. Or do we just slowly creep into that forever? I mean, that's why I can't really get behind, like, space travel. Like, what are we going to do? colonize the moon one of the moons of saturn and then just fight over what we 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 have this side you have that side or what you know what i mean like what I, we yeah. can't get along that's that was the biggest problem i ever i always had with star trek it was like humans all of a sudden just really figured it out no can't figure shit out we can't get along we never have we're i mean we're animals why do why do people think we're like so evolved and we know so much more now than our ancestors no you don't know shit I mean, we don't know shit. I, I mean, we can't. Uh, that's what I'm saying. We're, we're gonna have Mark here on a second, and we can't even just let somebody teach a class and go. Nope, I don't agree with him. I'm moving on. No, we gotta dis- <laughs> try to destroy him, <laughs> right? Yeah, 
I think so. Uh, I mean, that's where we're at. You have to try to destroy someone's career and all that stuff because you, I mean, you know, I mean, there's, uh, there's a lady that, uh, has been doxing people and, you know, stuff that you said, she's been doxing them and the TikTok lady. Yeah. The TikTok lady. Did you see that? And then somebody doxed her, found something she said, and and then all her, that sucks. I mean, all her friends were like, Hey, you got to take it. I'm not for any of the things that the people she doxed anybody for or whatever, but when I saw, when I, you know, she frightens me terribly. Like when, when I see that lady, I am scared of her and people like her. That's all I know. I'm not saying it's good or bad or whatever, but that, that doxiness of people I'm not worried about getting docs or something, but that spirit of that, I sound like I'm saying something spiritual, but her eyes scare me. She seems so scary to me. I'm so scared of her. But Matt, <laughs> totally she's scared of you because you're a white man. No, I, I don't know. She, I mean, she's getting people that are cheating vaccines or whatever. I don't, you know, I don't care about that stuff. Like they're, they're bad. I, I don't care. Like they, I want them to, I like the bad guys to get caught. They're scamming or whatever too, but that, the delight that it feels that people like that take in it, it's just so frightening. You and I have so such scary. a stupid worldview. It hurts us so much because I, I wrote this in our text thread the other day. I always pull for the criminal. I sent y'all a yeah, video of a criminal yeah, escaping. You know what I mean? Know, like he was esca- he escaped the courtroom and ran and and I was like, please let him make it. And he might have done something <laughs> horrible to a woman or a child or anything, but I was well, pulling for him. Away. I, yeah, I just too, was pulling for it. And I was like, I, I just have to. Like, I don't, I'm, I always think there's another way. There's, when somebody tells you no, wait, hold on. You can work this out. There, there's all, yeah. I mean, when somebody says no, this is the way things are, I go, no, uh uh-uh, uh, it's not the way things are. And so we can, you can make things, you can make your own reality, uh, you know, and, and you can't steal that from me and that thought and that idea. And so I just, I, I don't know. I'm on a tangent now, but anyway, let, let's bring on Mark. And talk no, about- I want to say. Hold on, I want to say one more thing. that's All funny right. about being that way about it is, it's like you, you of course don't want the bad guys to escape. But if somebody escaped from prison, you almost feel bad when they get caught, right? Yes, <laughs> even if they escape from prison. But uh, but you can't help but the same as uh, when there's a hurricane coming. It's like ooh, like you get a positive feeling about it. Something right. I want like, to I want the it. hurricane to succeed somehow. Yeah. I'll put it this way. What is your favorite thing that has ever happened in the Suez Canal so far? <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite thing that's ever happened in the Suez Canal? I mean, I know exactly. Immediately. It came immediately. Everybody, everybody has the favorite thing. Maybe right. you only know one thing about the Suez Canal, but you fucking love it. I know. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what a gift for that, that for that to happen to me to go, well, this is probably what I'd do. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, what a gift yeah, to me. Everything about it seems, I don't know, good, except for everything about it is negative. Right. Yeah. It's but the- I don't know how to, that's why people are screwed, because to me, that's just so delightful, and I'm just so glad it happened. I know. When that happened, that, all I could think was the, <laughs> the captain of that ship, like, oh, man, what was he thinking when he— Oh, when it, I know. Yeah, when that's it, exactly right. I was like, oh, my gosh, whoever oh that guy. I feel so bad for him. I hope he doesn't oh, get in no, any trouble. I, I, please don't kill yourself. Or, I mean, like, you know, I mean, he experienced it hitting the sides I, and getting stuck, and then he had to get off that ship. 
I'm and so, I'm so sorry. So sorry oh, for him. He's my hero. I love him. I send him money for that. I'd I mean, give I'm him so anything. sorry that happened. I've been in, you know, if you've ever owned and driven a 1984 MCI <laughs> bus <laughs> through downtown you know, New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know how he felt. Like, you talk about empathy. Right. Oh, God, I know what he felt I like. I mean, there's no more empathy I can have than what whoever is responsible for that. Oh, my God. That, we, we, yeah. In fact, I thank God. I mean, I thank God on my knees that that wasn't me that did that. Oh, I That's know. all I can think is, ah, it's not me. Whew. I didn't do it. That, That's really the, the relief I feel maybe from it is, this isn't my fault. I it know. Could, this is the type of thing that would be my fault. Exactly yeah. what I would do wrong and, and, would be that. Right. And you dumbass listening right now go, I don't like my job. I'm set. <laughs> Get the fuck out of that guy. <laughs> Somebody, somewhere. That guy should give you hope. That guy should make you go, you know what? It's Monday morning. I'm going in. Yeah. I, I'm going to do a hell That'll of a job fine. today. You're fine. It's okay. Yeah. You didn't turn a boat, a ship sideways. Uh, did you see the picture of all the ships waiting? It was, yeah, I mean, best. I was just like, what the pressure that that guy, I mean, that was like world level pressure that that guy, the best. It, it was his fault. I mean, I, I don't even know what the story is. I just imagine that it's somebody's fault and that somebody would be me and somehow it's not. And it's like the kind of dream you have. Like, don't you have that mm, dream? And yes. I mean, I'm fre- I'm terrified I'm going to have that dream the rest of my life that I did that. <laughs> I mean, we uh, we took one wrong turn in downtown New Orleans, and we went, and the road that we were on is some old road, uh, you know, the uh, historical road, and this guy started walking behind our bus following us and yelling, you're not supposed to be down here, and he's old, and he's barely walking, but he fought, because we were going so slow, and we got stuck, and Dave, our drummer, bad stuck, bad stuck, because it was like a, a 45 degree angle turn that we had to figure out how to get our bus out, or we were going to have to back up for like half a mile or to a mile. A whole line of cars. Yeah, oh, it was stuck. horrible. I mean, and this just... guy's yelling at us, and our bus. You know, what was our bus? Forty feet long or something like that. And uh, I went out of that bus, and I was like, "Get out of here! Gone! <laughs> yeah, what do you think we're doing? You think we want to be here? Get out of here!" And this old man yelling at us. He's going. Get, you're not supposed to be down here. Buses are this not. This is like, a historic street. I said, what do you think? I said, you think we want to be here right now? Get out of here. And I was just yelling at him. It was unbelievable. Finally, Dave, I mean, I don't know. Dave was so calm and collected, and he kept back. You had to back up like about two inches and then forward to it. I mean, it was horrific. And that was just so awesome. that was just there in a, in a tour bus. And it yeah. was, and when we got it out in, you know, 20 minutes or something like that, that, that was the, you know, horrific 20 minutes, the pressure, the anger, the hate I had at the moment, everything. Can you imagine being the captain of that ship and somehow you fucked up that bad? I mean, that's yeah. historic. I mean, he got to be a part of something that is, is, is historic. Oh yeah. Great. Great. And he'll probably be better for it. I'm glad the thing in new Orleans happened, you know? It's like now oh, I get me it too. as a memory right. of something you've gone through, and but it was twenty intense minutes, and you yeah. go, "Oh my gosh, how you feel alive?" You know, Her, the storm's coming. Yeah. Like, oh shit! Like, I don't know. I mean, that is so. I don't. I think it's. I don't know if it's optimism or positivity or or what is wrong with humans. I'm not sure which, but yeah. you know, that's me. Uh, it looks like 
it looks like our guest is here. Let's try to bring him on. You All ready? Right, yeah, we got anything else to say before that? No. We introduced him pretty well, so let's just see if we can merge him in here and get going. Okay, Doki. Mark, Me. can you hear us? Yes, I can. Well, I apologize terribly for the trouble getting logged in or that you had to make an account to – I wasn't aware you'd have to make an account to uh, join the link. I thought it was something that you could just click on and would put you right in, so I apologize. Just one more wonderful moment in the world <laughs> remote, remote living. Yeah, it's been a fun but, year, hasn't it? Yeah, no, it's, it's not a substitute for the real thing, believe me. No, certainly. That's what we were just talking about. It feels like the way the world, the way you have to connect with the world now, just people are going to stop participating more and more. It's just, well, it's, it's, just, it's too hard. Well, it's, I think that's the game plan, you know? I mean, we can get into this if you want, but I yeah, mean, let's do it. Just go right from there. I mean, it, game plan is, I mean, you know, we've, we've gotten into a situation where a year ago the world changed and there was a good amount of debate of when does it get back to normal two weeks three weeks six weeks kind of a thing and even if we get back to some kind of normal it seems that many people with many agendas have utilized the opportunity to make permanent changes i would say does that well, sound I, up your wavelength well i would say that the uh the agenda was set some time ago you know and uh, there was never any serious intention way, way up high to, um, I don't really think that um, a return to normal was ever in the cards, you know? I mean, if you study the COVID crisis in, in, in depth, going back to a number of significant events the year before, you realize that, that this whole thing was... Um, planned in order to bring about the so-called great reset you know uh, this, this is the whole thing when you say this whole thing what what does that entail well um covid has been used as an excuse to uh basically shut down the independent economy right small businesses uh have gone to the wall uh more and more uh commerce and communication take place online. This development is extremely profitable uh, to the likes of Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and so on, and to uh, ch chains like Walmart and uh, you know all the national chains can now scoop up uh, properties for pennies on the dollar that have been abandoned by small business people. And um, this move online necessarily entails um, or en enables a constant surveillance of everything we do. All our communications, including this one, uh, all the classes we teach online, uh, all the meetings that take place online, uh, it's extremely easy to hack into those. And um, all of our commercial transactions, uh, part of the Great Reset involves the elimination of cash, which means that um, all transactions will be digitalized, which means that uh, you, you, there's no way to hide any of your transactions from the state. Uh, I mean, if you read about the Great Reset, it's not a secret. You know, Klaus Schwab has a book called The Great Reset, and it's all spelled out. Um, if you go to the website for The Great Reset, which is uh, 
hosted by the World Economic Forum, you actually read the words, uh, I wanna get these right. Uh, I'm blanking on, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on them. That's um, okay, you can come back to it if it strikes yeah, you. Uh, it, you won't own anything. Did you hear this? No, we okay. haven't. Let me, let me, you're gonna edit this, right? We can, yeah, we but can. we can just keep it as loose as you want. We're just sitting here, just like a normal conversation. Sometimes it takes me a while to think of something too, so no big deal. Well, I, I, I really want to, I really want to bring this up if you guys don't know about it. So I'm going to quickly, yeah, we would. yeah, take a uh, second and look it up, and we'll, we'll do that, we'll, and I'll continue to, you know, well, introduce. Well, uh, what I wanted to say is, going along with that, my wife and I just recently, uh, we thought maybe we would buy some property. Uh, and rent it out, and maybe that could be you know some type of in investment for us for our future. And then her and I both read several articles where they are changing the renters' rights <laughs> rules so that you can't evict someone. So you could be right now a lot lots of folks like that just own a couple of properties. The small guy uh, owns some properties, and then will lose those properties because the renters won't have to pay rent. I, I have my heart goes out to the people that can't pay the rent. I understand that. But the people that own the properties will also are going to get really screwed, right? And so those properties, the same as like you were saying with like, you know, the big companies, Amazon, uh, Walmart, and all that stuff, even like just home ownership and rental properties will go will go away. And the big guys, all those big companies will come in and scoop it up and all the houses on your block that, you know, might end up being owned by this giant company as opposed to, you know, just a, a couple, you know, a, a husband and wife like my wife and I that could just we're trying to make a few extra hundred bucks a month or something, you know? Well, that's right. Um, I mean, the, the gist of the Great Reset's promise is you will own nothing and you will never be happier. I mean, you can do a Google search on that. It's explicit. You will own nothing and you will never be happier. So, you know, what that means is if you want to have a dinner party, assuming that that's not forbidden as unsafe, right? You um, will rent your pots and pans and uh, cutlery. And, you know, it'll be delivered by drone from an Amazon warehouse. I, 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 I'm not making this up. I mean, this is a dystopian lifestyle that's uh, being pitched by the World Economic Forum in, in deadly earnest. They want to eliminate uh, all autonomy, right? You know, all independently owned property, all independent businesses, certainly. America has a long tradition of um, devotion to the automobile. I mean, that's as American as apple pie. Well, they want to replace human drivers with uh, autonomous vehicles. That's one of the reasons why there are all the 5G uh, antennas, e even along highways. What you see happening there is the, the elimination of uh, bus drivers, truck drivers, and taxi drivers, right? Mm -hmm. You go to Whole Foods now, and you'll find that they are being renovated to include a self-checkout aisle, you see? So that's a way to eliminate human workers. And the utility companies are installing smart meters in buildings everywhere. They just, uh, Con Ed in New York, just put them across the hall from my apartment. Aside from the question of what that'll, what effect that'll have on health of the residents living here, 
it means they don't have to have human meter readers anymore, you see? So we're talking about an extremely ambitious plan to uh, remake uh, human society and, and American society in particular and the American economy in particular. Is this the, the, um, the type of stuff that's been in your purview and that you teach and have been aware of long before the incident when we talk about your career and NYU and all that stuff, but is this, the, the, is this territory that you're covering now something that you've been interested in, you know, long-term? Well, I mean, I have to say that the notion of a great reset took me by surprise. I, I never thought that that was coming. Um, and just like everybody else in, um, you know, early 2020, I was terrified of this virus and was masking everywhere I went and, you know, holding my breath on elevators. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I was 70 years old then and um, I have Lyme disease, chronic Lyme disease. So I was, you know, petrified that I was going to uh, get it. And it took a few months for me to begin to do what I always had done and always do and ask my students to do or urge them to do. And that's just read beyond the mainstream narrative. You know, mm -hmm. what aspects of the story are not being told? Because we're hearing that it is an unprecedentedly contagious and lethal pathogen we're hearing that asymptomatic carriers are infectious. Uh, we're hearing that masks are an effective barrier to transmission of this virus and that standing six feet apart is a protection, right? Mm -hmm. We were told that there was no remedy for this. Uh, every one of those claims is, is demonstrably false, every single one. And That's a, that's uh, a bold statement. Well, um, it, it sounds bold to most people because most people get their information from the same sources. Mm -hmm. See, anytime, I mean, we really are jumping right into this. <laughs> no, that's all right. Anytime you hear one story and you hear it everywhere you look, right, where it's the only story you're hearing and reading, and listening to that that doesn't happen organically that's not a natural development because even even now with the media largely owned by a handful of companies there's still some tension between different ownerships and so on so you would think that there'd be competition and some contradiction right there is none Right, there is none on COVID, uh, and this is nothing new, you know. I mean, this has been going on since modern propaganda started with World War One, where the American people and the British people heard one story over and over again that Germany had started the war, and that the Hun was, you know, committing these unspeakable atrocities all over Belgium. And people got furious and lined up to enlist and bought Liberty Bonds. And they had to change the name of sauerkraut to Liberty Cabbage. I mean, it was like a kind of madness. It's the only story people heard. All right. Well, that's the hallmark of a propaganda drive. And the, the thing one needs to do as a citizen of a democratic republic 
as a free-thinking person is very difficult to do. And that is to try to pull back and take a more comprehensive view of the situation and look for, look outside the spectacle to see what else people have to say. That can involve looking at the foreign media or it can involve just talking to people right. who are witnesses, uh, right? That's what I teach my students to do in my propaganda course at NYU. So uh, I think I find it really fascinating that you're a propaganda guy all the way through and have been paying attention to it and studying it and teaching it, you know, at this level for all this time. Um, I have a slightly different ex- way that I look at things. I'd like to kind of get in the middle here because you you really are getting at something that I feel uh, on a, like an emotional level to be true from my experience, but not in the academic way or study and propaganda history. That's not my thing, mm-hmm. but s- accidentally stumbling into taboos when everybody has a mainline thought on something. That's mm-hmm. kind of my story of my life, uh, obnoxious kid or whatever. And everybody's like, shut up, man. Don't be the spoiler to this. It's we all want it to be a certain way. Don't bring up the fact that it's not the way we want it to be. And I say, well, don't you want it? Don't, I mean, and I'm always confused and pushing taboos a lot of times on accident. Um, and, and so like, that, for example, recycling, we, we, we've been talking on this podcast for a while that we think recycling's bullshit. There's some you real know? funny <laughs> stuff there. And nobody has an appetite right. for that. And, exactly. and we just want to, like you said, Mark, just expose the other side. Well, what if, why would you just blindly accept yeah, recycling as motives, healing really? the world? Well, yeah. What are the motives? There? That's just an example, Matt. Yeah, and so I, I see, I have a way that I look at the world and people and systems like cults. I've been a person who's even been given to cults, been in them, maybe started them. I don't know. I'm a believer in things, and I tend to get in these things, but I, they, it's always folly to overbuy into a narrative, basically. And yeah. so I even think individuals and humans are their own dictator cult with propaganda. I think people narrativize themselves and ignore, you know, so I think of all systems in that kind of way. So it's very familiar territory to me that confirmation bias kicks in and any narrow visioned person that's not, doesn't want to free think or has an agenda uses whatever evidence they could find to just reinforce a narrative. And then when you get to the mass level, I suppose that's propaganda, governments, conspiracies, all that stuff. But I'm not really, you know, from my experience, it's just natural that people do that naturally, and I'm not one to think about conspiracies at all because it seems to be just like the regular fundamental way people do. Like if, when an opportunity presents itself to advance your agenda, you just do. And if propaganda helps, you just do it. But it doesn't seem so collusion-based and intentional to me typically. But the results are often as you describe, I think. Well, if, if the same narrative is rolling out all over the country and all over the world in all these different media systems at the same moment. Um, I mean, as someone who has himself been involved in organizing, uh, you know, um, and I'll explain what I did in a moment. um, I can tell you that that's not easy to manage. You can't do that without tremendous resources and influence Mm -hmm. to have that kind of access to the media systems of the world. you know, entails a tremendous amount of power. And let me add that I would recommend to you, Matt, 
that you just study the history of the CIA since World War II, and you can see that they've become extremely skilled at um, staging events, mm-hmm. uh, provocative events. I mean, this is really old imperial practice, goes back to the British in the 19th centuries. Nothing really new about it. But there are imperial interests, you know, that do what they can to strengthen themselves and enrich themselves. I mean, too much power is a very dangerous thing, and the, fr- the framers understood that. I mean, that's but why they. Just- what is the level that the power is self-aware of its intent? Because when you say media, I think of media as every freaking person on my Twitter timeline that's just some individual, and they're all echoing the media too. But they're not the media; they believe the media. But I don't know where it. And even the journalists, I mean, they're just people doing stuff, and it benefits them to be on this train versus that train. And I don't. I think they're pretty. You know, all the way up. I don't see people that I. I you know, so there. If there's a level of power and intent, it's at this very high higher level where they're doing public messaging and the stuff that comes from the CDC or the WHO. And even there, my take on what they do is they just look at us as dummies that can't handle any nuance, and they know uh, that they must put stuff down into the simplest, most basic thing, and it's they know it's not accurate, six feet's dumb, masks aren't really what they want you to believe they are, but that's at least a simple pro-social message you can tell people that that'll make them feel better because they'll feel some comfort that they're taking action but it won't really be helping them as much as it would sound like and if we and and then it'll cause them to be afraid which is probably the best way we can just chill everybody out and have them locked down is to scare them a little bit so we got to scare them a little bit it's got to be a simple message and it's got to be one that a a two-year-old a four-year-old can understand and a 95-year-old person that lives in the woods can understand and so they're very constrained in what messaging they could use they could i could handle a more nuanced message and so could everybody i know but that just wouldn't be effective at any level so it doesn't happen but that still sounds farther off for me from the deepest of conspiracy well it isn't necessary i mean you're obviously right about nuance i mean propaganda can't be too nuanced or it won't work right mm-hmm. everybody knows this even if it's I mean, positive intent from the who or the cdc is what i'm saying well it can be with positive intent i don't think the messaging from the who and the cdc is positive I don't think the intent is positive because what they have said repeatedly, um, the problem with it isn't just that it's not nuanced. The problem with it is that it is consistently false. Okay. Let's take an example. Uh, Hydroxychloroquine, right? The, The drug that Trump, Trump touted. That's what the media was all screaming. Trump touted this drug. The effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine is has been established beyond a shadow of a doubt in study after study and in clinical practice after clinical practice. And in countries where it's available over the counter, like Pakistan and India, you know, where they have a lot of malaria, mm-hmm. the COVID infection rate has been extremely low. Same with Saudi Arabia, because they can take hydroxychloroquine. If you take it early, you will get better unless you get terrible comorbidities. The CDC and the WHO categorically denounced all this and said it was just anecdotal evidence. Dr. Fauci said this on TV. And Trump's having touted it was used, discredited even further, because to a lot of people, if Trump says it has to be false. Right. right? 
The same with ivermectin. Ivermectin is a drug that's even more effective than HCQ. And you never hear a word about this. Why is this? Well, it's because they want people to get vaccinated. Okay, well, we'll hold off on the vaccination question for a moment. But these august bodies, the CDC, the WHO, completely misrepresented the truth about a remedy that would save many lives. Mm-hmm. Masking. Okay, until April, the CDC was saying what all the scientists who've studied this have been saying, which is that masks don't prevent transmission of respiratory viruses. Dr. Fauci said this on 60 Minutes. He said it may make you feel better, but it's really not going to do any good. That's what the most rigorous studies have shown for years. Since 1920, there was a study published then about the so-called Spanish flu. And this doctor said, you know, masks did nothing. And in April, all of a sudden, they flipped the CDC and uh, Dr. Fauci, and they said the opposite. Mm -hmm. Let me add that the WHO also, until June, they had videos up saying, a mask will not prevent you from catching this illness, said the same thing. They were echoing what we call the science. Right. In June, they flipped. All of a sudden, they're saying, all right. But can I jump in on that, though? To me, that is both statements are wrong and unnuanced so you could they're both false statements if if it's binary it's 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 it you know it doesn't make sense but there is something about mass that's something in some ways but previously they were saying they were over reducing what mask might or could do in what situations to they don't even work because they would never want you to think at that time, they didn't want people thinking to have a mask on makes you safe. That would be a huge error that would cause lots of deaths. So they, th- they in that case, have to say, masks don't work. Don't worry about masks. Because then people put on a mask and then go to a party. Because that level of nuance, nobody was going to be ready for. So they had to flip from a not-true over-reduction to a different not-true over-reduction. Neither of which is good information, basically, well, is the way yeah, I see yeah. that. It's more serious than that because... Prolonged mask wearing by the general public is unprecedented. It's never happened before in any pandemic or epidemic. Never. This is completely unprecedented. And it has been having serious health effects on a lot of people. I mean, this is a fact. When when you wear a mask for hours and hours, uh, you are rebreathing your own pathogens. You're rebreathing the bacteria and the viruses that your lungs want to expel. You're also reducing the amount of oxygen you're taking in, and this creates a condition called hypoxia and an overload of, of uh, you know, CO2, which is called hypercapnia. And OSHA, right, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, they have very strict rules on which workers should not be required to wear masks, and they include people with asthma, they include diabetics, they include people with hypertension, they include um, people with COPD. You know, there's all these conditions. If, if your worker has any of those conditions, you cannot make them wear a mask for more than like 20 minutes. I mean, that's government regulations that we never hear about. Also, children are not, they have strong natural immunity to COVID, and they are, there's not a single instance, a known instance of a child 
transmitting it to somebody else. Nowhere. But they close the schools. They have the kids sitting six feet apart. They have kids wearing masks. Yeah. Which just when I see that, it just breaks my heart. It, it's it's physically destructive and it's psychologically very damaging because a kid can't, you know, you socialize yourself by looking at expressions right. on people's faces. Mm-hmm. What about deaf children? Yeah, okay, no how are they supposed to follow me? Yeah. I, uh, psychologically, physiologically, I think there's some evidence that it can. I, I can I can explain it in a way that would make sense to me why I'd put on a mask or whatever, but relatively negligible, the psychological effects of it being a social norm. And I've, I've, you know, people are worried that not people are worried. People are glad that it may become a permanent social norm. And that is horrifying to me. Like I'll wear a mask all day, every day for the, for 2021, but you know, long-term no way am I going to do that. Like I, I, you know, no way. Let let me add something else. It's really, really bad. Really, really bad for our human social interactions, which is our biggest threat uh, going forward. I mean, exactly. So what could possibly justify the CDC and the WHO advising this new policy when it has such disastrous consequences? Let me tell you something else. As I researched this in depth, okay. Um, last uh, spring, the spring of 2020, three Chinese teenagers in different provinces all dropped dead in their gym classes at school because they were running laps with masks on. Okay. And this was reported in, in an English language. Chinese. Three in the same class? Three, no. Three total provinces. Chinese students. Three different provinces. Three, three different okay. provinces. So that the health authorities in those provinces changed the rules and said, you know, during exertion, the students should not wear masks. This was reported in China. This was reported in Japan. This was reported, uh, I think, in a, a, by a, a one TV station in Indonesia. And it was reported, it was actually misreported in the New York Daily News and the New York Post. That's it. Okay. I had a Chinese student of mine scour the Chinese media more comprehensively because I certainly can't read Chinese. And she found three other articles about older people doing exercises in masks and dropping dead. But one slipped into a coma and two dropped dead. All right. That is a nuance that I think should have been more widely known. Because I'm, you go outside, there are people biking in masks. There are people jogging in masks. This is just an example of what I take to be a very perverse kind of policy pushed by the CDC and the WHO. They push that. They tell us there are no remedies. Okay. They tell us that asymptomatic carriers are highly contagious when this is completely false. They tell us, and the media tells us, that you can catch it just walking past someone on the street. That's nonsense. Most transmission has taken place in mm-hmm. indoors. But right. almost all these things, there are some mathematical chance in a probabilistic way that could be shown to be something by reason, but so small. And then it's taken to, and people say stuff like asymptomatic people can be highly transmissible. That's absurd thing to say. Um, but it would, it, it could be true 
that asymptomatic people, in theory, can pass some germs from one to another. Transmission is possible. But that is, but it's taken and acted like anybody, asymptomatic, kid, with no symptoms, with no anything, you know, there's some mechanism by which that would be easy to spread. But it would be quite difficult, if oh. not impossible in a lot of situations. But yet... It feels like the message is you don't no matter what if you see another human that is a danger if you and that's what gets you toward that's what makes it seem so crazy is because overall the message boils down to stay home stay away from other humans humans are bad humans are dangerous feel guilty feel scared that's the that's what we've taught kids that's what I don't like 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 we enrolled our daughter in to basketball and she has to run up and down the court with a mask on. And I just, uh, it infuriates me, but I don't want to steal at least that connection with, you know, her teammates and practice. I don't, I don't want to take that away, but, but, but I just, I'm like, we, I do not have the choice to say, I want to do that. Now I, I, I'm even okay. Like I I said early on, I was the same as you, Mark early on. I was like, man, I wish just everybody would wear a mask and let's just see if this really works. Let's just, you know, let's, wow. What if the, you really saw real data of the numbers going down or, you know, then we would at least know, but it, it felt so bizarre to say, I remember that as well. Uh, and people laughed at me because I said, well, I mean, they said masks don't work. And now all of a sudden they do work. And now, oh, well, they didn't want the medical workers not to, for them to all be taken. And and I can understand, but you could just say that. Listen, the medical workers have to have them first or like. No, you can't the, the, though. The you weird, can't say No, that. you can. You can't well, say li- that. It won't work. So no, they don't, but, they no. won't work to do that. So they know that. So they know they have to lie to you. Because they don't, they, so, so they won't, they, you won't do right. right. So, so you, you're, you as a human and your brain gets disrespected. Correct. They tell you, you're, you, you're not smart enough to handle it. That's right. You can't, that's you true. can't do this. It is true. We're not, well, we won't be able to handle it. And we want, they needed us all no, to be scared and stay home. And so they figured but, out a way to scare you, us into But then it. you have to say that the government is smart enough to handle it. And we're not though, Matt. No, they're not smart enough yeah, to handle no, it. Yeah, they're just you're trying to make us a docile population that they can control. That's what they want. Right, right, right. And that's the only way to get it. Go ahead, Mark. Go ahead, Mark. We're jumping in here. (laughs) Well, um, Matt, you've hit the nail on the head, right? They want a docile population that will do as it's told. Right. That's how you get it. Dr. Dr. Fauci said that. Yeah. He said, you should do what you're told. And then he kind of chuckled. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but that's not the American way as I understand it. You don't do as you're told. You do as you're told in China. You know, right. you did as you were told in Nazi Germany, but um, you don't just do as, as you're told in the democratic system. None of these policies have been subjected to proper democratic scrutiny. They haven't had hearings. They haven't had people from the other side come in and advise the Senate. Uh, these are all top-down directives and orders from governors and so on. We have Bill Gates, who doesn't even have a BA who's setting health policy for the whole world because you know he effectively owns the WHO. I I assume you know that. He is the biggest donor to the WHO on the planet, bigger than any country, bigger than the US. So he owns the WHO and he has significant interests in vaccines, right? Yes, but I believe he has some crazy, you know, I believe he's probably a very crazy person in a unique position and he probably believes something along the lines of it's my job to save the world or something. And he thinks oh that, you know, all the global health initiatives that he does is somehow, and my, this is just some 
theory I have about Bill Gates that he <laughs> believes that he's doing trying to save in some way he's optimizing how to save the most people's lives overall in the world to do it as a guilt for as much money as he's made and the way things he's done in his life that he thinks public health he can give so much that he winds up being blind to some degree but he's so powerful and he's just one person so even if he's smarter than the rest of us which he is and knows a lot more than people with BAs I'm sure he does but he's one individual that wields an ungodly amount of power and is just as subject to blind spots as the rest of us and probably has more influence on accident over groups like the who Mark the what's CDC. your Mark what's your take on on Bill Gates why would he why would he invest so much in the who well Look, you have to understand where this guy's coming from, okay? I mean, Bill Gates, you think Bill Gates, and the image that comes to mind is this kind of nerdy guy with the glasses and the lavender sweaters and the Kermit the Frog voice, you know, and he's explaining things and making it sound as if he, he is benevolent and he wants to do good. He wants to save lives, et cetera. He wants to save the planet. We've been hearing this for years. That's the image we have of him, okay? What Bill Gates has done uh, is exactly what John D. Rockefeller did a hundred years ago. John D. Rockefeller, like Gates, uh, you know, was a target of an antitrust investigation by the government. And in that case, uh, the government won and Standard Oil had to be broken up into different companies. In the case of Gates, the government just settled with him, although they had a very strong case against Microsoft for you know, monopoly practices, but they just sort of settled. And I don't even know what the terms of the settlement were. But in both cases, the um, very unpopular figures, because Gates was extremely unpopular, bought themselves a golden reputation by starting a foundation. Right. I agree so with that. Rockefeller started the Rockefeller Foundation. And Gates started the Gates Foundation. And, you know, Gates's fortune has doubled since he started his foundation. He was worth $100 billion, Now he's worth $200 billion. There has never been a moment in his life when he has regretted uh, making more money. I, this is not that kind of guy. And if you want to know what kind of guy he is, just read the autobiography of Paul Allen, who was his partner at Microsoft. And you, 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 you realize from someone who knew him very well that he's an extremely uh, ruthless, combative, uh, pugnacious uh, person with no toleration for other points of view, right? He's driven, and he wants the power. <sighs> okay, what's he doing with all these vaccines? Well... Bill Gates is someone who learned a great deal from his father, Bill Gates Sr., who was the original director of the foundation. And Bill Gates Sr. was very close to the Rockefellers. And the interest that they shared in common. Oh, can I say something parenthetically? Feel free. I'm going to say, I'm going to, say to you guys what I say to my students almost every time we meet. This is my mantra. And what I say is, don't believe a single word I say. Okay? That's what I tell them. I'm saying it. Okay? Maybe it shocks you. Okay? Fine. Go check it out. Check it out yourself. Okay? If I'm wrong, tell me. I'll correct my view. If I'm right, then you've learned something. Okay? So that's the kind of caveat I wanted to be Love clear. It. Okay? 
Gates Sr. and the Rockefellers were deeply interested in eugenics, okay, which is eliminating the unfit from the human family. And the Rockefellers supported eugenics generously in the early 20th century. So did the Carnegie uh, family, and I think the Harrimans as well. So this was an elite thing. And it was all about um, encouraging uh, the fit to reproduce and discouraging the unfit from reproducing or making it impossible for the unfit to reproduce. And one of the most notorious eugenicists of the early 20th century, of course, was Margaret Sanger and her Planned Parenthood. She was a feminist, but her interest in Planned Parenthood was not a feminist interest. It was a eugenicist interest. And Bill Gates Sr. was on the board of Planned Parenthood. Bill Gates Sr. was not a feminist, believe me, okay? Bill Gates's parents were both extremely powerful members of the elite in Seattle. And Gates Sr. was close to the Rockefellers, who funded eugenics uh, research, not only here, but in Germany as well. And a few of the most um, uh, generously endowed of their German uh, grantees uh, went on to work in Hitler's system in charge of public health, okay? Hitler uh, avidly studied the eugenics literature coming out of the United States. Hitler was really, really um, impressed by the uh, sterilization laws in this country and the anti-miscegenation laws in this country. And he modeled his Nuremberg laws on the laws here. He even had correspondence going with one, one of the American eugenicists. He was really, really influenced by this. And the eugenicists in the 30s loved what Hitler was doing. You know, I mean, they got kind of a sanitized picture, but they thought this is great. You know, we finally have somebody running a country who's willing to put our ideas into practice. Well, come 1945, and uh, there's all this horrific footage of these cadaverous survivors of the death camps, suddenly eugenics didn't look so good, okay? They had a PR problem. Um, and so what happened? Well, they rebranded it. And they rebranded it as population control or population reduction, and it became a kind of pseudo-environmentalist thing. Can I trace that and see if I, I'll follow you there? Right. Um, again, I'm uncomfortable with some of the language that you use, but I don't think I very much disagree with your description of the movements. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, it's difficult for me to attribute uh, the motives of these people as things that they were super clear on. But I'm fine to disagree, to not really parse that out. I just feel that most of the people that you've listed there in their own minds, they didn't see themselves as doing the evil thing. They saw themselves as doing a good thing with positive intent that made sense to them. And they are blind to something that if that may, if that's comfortable enough to continue with that, your description of the movement, unless you totally disagree, that's fine. But the movements you describe, that makes sense because when you take a, a, a when you get into population control, it's a it's a it's a, it really hits a propaganda button because it's a good sounding thing 
it even sounds environmental, and we already know there's super positive affect toward environmentalism. So to label something, labeling is a big deal. To label something population control, uh, it's everybody can automatically positively be on board, and there's an implication that we need less people, and then it just follows without anybody having to say it that certain people, you know, there's a certain types of people that if we had less of them, that'd be better than certain types of other people that we'd like to have more of. We'd like right. to have more of, and then you can fill in the blank with your nationality, uh, affiliation or whatever. Capacity, of course we want yeah. people that are smart and participate in society and pay taxes and blah, blah. Of course, if we're going to have a population reduction, there's certain types of people you want to reduce more than others, you know, and then you get right back to eugenics. So that all that totally is logical. And, but it's just a matter of who the power groups are and their intent and, well, and, and decoding yeah. that is another matter. Right. And I don't disagree with you. I, I agree that in their own minds, they think they're doing the right thing. But then so did Hitler. Hitler right. didn't, he was doing evil. Exactly. Right. Hitler really believed that world Jewry was planning to destroy Germany. This is what psychologists call projection. So he you know, wanted to destroy all of them. And he made a lot of progress in that direction. Um. Just because they believe what they're doing is right doesn't make it any less um, dangerous or evil. Right, but me. it's easy to get discounted by just calling Bill Gates an evil genius. So I'm, I don't want to do that. No, no, I, 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 I wouldn't just come right out and call him that. But I, I have no qualms about revealing information about him that will maybe get others to infer that or, what he's doing. Yeah, or evil. to ask better questions. I mean, I see you centrally as saying something that's so near and dear to my heart, which is – you got to ask questions extra when people are telling you not to. That, no matter what, is true. If people don't want a question asked, you have to ask that one. You have to. I totally, that's what's so important. You do. And, well, that, uh, that, that, that's why I was even just going to say, I mean, the, that's why propaganda is so uh, important to what, uh, I, I think we feel like propaganda was just something that, like, the Nazis used. And it's not, as, it's, it's not, I feel like it goes under the radar more now that, just because everything's so, so streamlined, you're right. Like all the news networks do kind of repeat the same thing. You just go, well, that, that just must be the way it is as opposed to being filled in your mind. And then you can, sometimes you can war against propaganda because it Russia stole the election or something like that. But, but like anybody that ever said, like I'm from South Carolina, all my family members, anybody that ever said something about Russia or, or the opposite or whatever, I don't even think they really knew it just sounded right. Because you wouldn't want to say it was your own country or your own, you know, something like that. I, I don't. I can't even go on a deep dive there. But I do think it's it's just more the propaganda machine moves because everybody kind of is is it that everybody buys into something, even with good motives, yeah. and then just goes with it. So it's not that there's this central evil guy necessarily, but it's just a a great line or a great statement and uh, or a great idea, and then everybody just falls in line with it. I'm assuming. Well, yeah. I mean, you made a really good point there, a few really good points. You know, propaganda, in a sense, flies under the radar. Ironically, because there's so much of it, we're so completely barraged by it that we don't see it. This is an important point. And I want us to circle back to my plight at NYU because I want to know what, I want people to know what I'm yeah. fighting here. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody is very um, capable of recognizing propaganda that they do not agree with, okay? So you ask a liberal, what's a propaganda, for example? They're going to say Fox News, Rush Limbaugh, 
you ask a conservative what's propaganda and he'll say uh, MSNBC. And they're both right. You know? right. <laughs> no doubt. But, but they're only half right because they can't, they can't see the propaganda that pushes their buttons. As far as they're concerned, it's the truth because it's what they want to hear, which kind of gets to something Matt was suggesting before that, you know, the propagandist's job is to put things in terms that will appeal to people, right? And make them agree. It has to have and, a mimetic quality to it to even yeah. have legs. And so it must at least be that. Yeah, it has to be, well, it has to say something you want to hear. And it, and it also has to be something that you so fervently agree with that you end up saying it all over social media. So then you become a propaganda medium yeah. yourself and you don't even know it, right? Mm -hmm. The idea is to spread that word. Self-replicating is part of it, right? Exactly. So what you have to do, again, is take that step back. And this is very hard emotionally and socially for people to do. And it's hard for, for oneself to do. And Matt was getting at that. Um, Matt, if I may say so, you're kind of discomfort with some of the things I was saying. Mm -hmm. It's a discomfort that I have felt many times as I've been studying propaganda that I don't want to think this is true. You know, I, I really don't want to be right about this. I want to be wrong about it. So this gets us into the area of conspiracy theory. Okay. You don't want to come out and say Bill Gates is an evil genius because then people will dismiss you. Well, the quickest way people like me uh, get dismissed is to be called a conspiracy theorist. And what you're saying is conspiracy theory, all right? Conspiracy theory. Now, this is what happened to me. This is a very personal story. This is the kind of my moment of enlightenment. I wrote a book, came out in 2005, called Fooled Again. And it was a study of how Bush Cheney stole the 2004 election, okay? And uh, I wasn't a Democrat and I'm not a Democrat. I was just studying the election results. And I, you know, demonstrate in the book, they stole it. And it was from a very eminent publishing house, basic books. And they were all ready to go. I was very enthusiastic and excited. And I thought this is going to kickstart a very necessary national debate because the American voting system is, and this is not exaggeration, the worst in the developed world. You know, when it's ranked by universities, it's, it's dead last. It's terrible. And it needs to be fixed. Media completely blacked the book out. Nothing. And I had often been on NPR as a, you know, commentator. They wouldn't have me anywhere near them. Two newspaper reviews in the whole country in lesser newspapers. One was a hit piece. But the left media, the left press for which I had written, attacked it as conspiracy theory and me as a conspiracy theorist. This took me by surprise, you know, I couldn't believe it. And I asked myself, well, when did that become a thing anyway? Conspiracy theory. When did that become such a handy cudgel to use on people offering uncomfortable ideas? And I, I looked into it and discovered <clears throat> The, the phrase was not used much by the press in America before 1967. Conspiracy theory was used sometimes. Conspiracy theorist never. I don't think it was ever used. 1967, why? 
Well, it turns out that in 1967, the CIA concerned about a number of books that had come out questioning the Warren report on the Kennedy assassination were selling well, and people were starting to get interested in that assassination four years earlier, and the CIA saw this as a problem. The memo is 1035-960, if you want to look it up. And it went to all station chiefs worldwide, and it basically said, your job is to get all your media assets, you know, to run negative reviews or commentary on these books. And I think they use the phrase conspiracy theory. And it even went into five or so uh, specific points that the reviewers should make. One of them we hear all the time to this day, and that is, well, if there were a conspiracy on such a scale, somebody would have talked by now. You hear that all the time. So it worked, it took off. And you start to track the phrase through the years. And, you know, the, after MLK's assassination, after Bobby Kennedy's assassination, after around Contra, after 9-11, you know, after this, one thing after another, it's used and it's used and it's used. Now everybody uses it. Everybody you know uses it. You may use it. People will say, well, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but... And then they'll say something perfectly reasonable, you know? Mm. I mean, sometimes it's reasonable to be suspicious. And indeed, you know, Americans historically have been naturally distrustful of elite intentions. I mean, read the Declaration of Independence. It's a conspiracy theory from beginning to end. I don't see anything wrong with being suspicious of elite intentions because elites want themselves to have all the power and money. So it's, it's, it's a good thing that people are suspicious. Because of the success of this propaganda drive, people see it as a bad thing, as a sign of insanity. And it's career suicide for anybody who, uh, you know, is in the professions. I mean, interested to know, Matt, that at the beginning of our conversation, you made the point that your realizations of what's really going on in certain instances had to do with your own perceptions. Mm-hmm and not through academic study. Well, that's significant because the vast majority of academics, like lawyers, like doctors, like journalists, like all those who've been through professional training, you know, part of that training is basically teaching you where not to go. Right, no doubt about not, that. What not to say, don't yep. go that far, okay? Yes, I, so, I agree. I think almost all formal education has implicit blindnesses that it places on you. <laughs> That's the way I would say that. But and not for any reason. I'm just saying once uh, something is selected to be trained in a person, it comes at the expense of free thinking in some other axis. And that's not whether it's intentional or not. Uh, I, I think that there is an unconscious and conscious. There can be both. Yeah. Desire to prevent people from questioning power relations in the system. Yes. In all systems, that's a good thing to quash and keep people from doing. If you exactly. want to control any population in any way for any reason, even if it's a daycare, that's just what you need to do. That's, well, that's the correct. functionality of systems requires such things. Exactly. And there's a, it's a huge cost we pay. Well, know. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, and this, this brings me to my, uh, my own situation because I believe that the goal of higher education 
and lower education too, should be to teach kids how to think critically for themselves. That's what I believe. You know, I don't believe that they should become little vessels of social justice ideology or whatever, you know, or little vessels of Christian theocratic ideology. They should be thinking citizens, right? That's the basis on which I teach my propaganda course. That's what fascinated me most about what you do is, I, you know, I've in my whole life had a few teachers that I thought were really great. And they're the ones that were really shocking in the classroom. And all of a sudden I'm paying attention and, and something's happening. You know, it's only happened a few times. But those to me, those are the moments that education is about when you have to argue with the teacher and it really gets weird. And it's like, you know, Toby and I had this class where we took existentialism once. And the there was a girl in that class that could not handle Nietzsche being taught and said that God was dead. And if she could have got that professor canceled, she would have. Because that was not, a, yeah. you know, like if she'd have had an environment where she could have protested that and made something ch- not be taught that or challenged her faith in that way, she would have taken, she would have done so. I w- it was clear right. to me. Our professor was just trying to explain to yeah. us about Nietzsche <laughs> and his ideas, and she couldn't get past her God. You yes, know, you will right. not talk to me about that. And so that that is one of the things that fascinates about us about you and your apply to in, NYU and what you're going through personally just seems outrageous. We want, we, we, I'd love to get into that. You could okay. just give us a, a, a brief explanation of what's happening because I, what I love about uh, just hearing your story uh, and your class is you just expose your students to ideas. You are not trying to influence them left or right or up or down, or you, but you are offering something that they most likely aren't getting anywhere else. So at least they have it one spot on earth, you know, one spot oh. in their life. So you I wanted to get into what's, intentionally yes. though, right? Some po- you cause discomfort in your students somewhat as a strategy is what I'm that. getting at, which yeah. I think is a good thing. I, I actually don't think I do that. I, 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 it just, it seems that way because many of the things I bring up are so startling, but I, but I, I do take pains to, you know, um, break it to them sort of gently, <laughs> you know, I don't just come right out and say, right. I think this is the case. I think the moon landing was a hoax. I don't say that, you know, but if the subject comes up, I said, well, you know, there's actually some very interesting research on this. You should look into it and make up your own mind, you know, right. and then they do. Um, and whatever they discover, they discover. Right. But I, I don't believe in being confrontational or, um, deliberately startling because that will just cause people to pull back and shut down. But I'm uh, Toby. I'm glad. Well, I'm glad you guys both told that story about your existentialism class because it's exactly what happened to me, except it ended up in the opposite way. This was last September. Uh, I'm introducing the course and I'm saying to the kids what I said to you at the beginning. You know, the study of propaganda can be difficult. Uh, study it, be prepared to move out of your comfort zone if you really want to study it. And um, I'm going to say startling things, but I don't want you to believe them and on and on. Okay. So I made that clear, but I also disclaimer, right. Like you have to give a disclaimer in this setting. I said, um, look at the way we're meeting. We're meeting by zoom. I mean, how unnatural is this? And why are we meeting this way? Well, it's because of the COVID crisis. And the COVID crisis has entailed a number of very powerful propaganda themes that we've been hit over the head with repeatedly. And I made the point, you know, propaganda doesn't have to be nefarious. 
it can be benign, but it's only part of the story. So we could study the COVID crisis as an example of the kind of thing we'll look at. In particular, I said, we could study the mask mandates. And I would encourage you to read the eight randomized controlled studies. And at the time, I thought there were only eight. There are actually many more than that. But I said all the randomized controlled studies, which is the most rigorous kind of scientific study, they've all found over the years that masks don't prevent transmission of respiratory viruses. You should read those. And I added, you should also read the more recent studies finding otherwise. They're very easy to find. And they're not scientists. I'm not a scientist. So I gave them a little advice. I said, you can, as a layperson, uh, assess the soundness of a study by, for example, looking at scientific reviews. You can find those. When a study is first published, there'll be comments, and you can read those. You should also look at the university that the study was done at to see if it has any financial relationships with Big Pharma or the Gates Foundation, because that might suggest a conflict of interest. That's what I said. Okay, the following week, a student emailed me and asked to join the class. And I said, sure. And she did. And uh, she spoke up the first day. Um, we we're talking about uh, Edward Bernays's book, Propaganda from 1928. It's a very important book. And then at the next class, the subject of masks came up again because another student in the class, see, I, I had told them that seven of the studies I was recommending were all compiled by this one French Canadian researcher named Denis Rancourt. He was a physicist, very, very smart. Instead of reading those studies, this one student had gone to Google, they do this all the time, did a Google search, and the first thing he found was an attack on that guy Rancor in Psychology Today, it was a hit piece. And the student read the hit piece, and he starts reciting lines from the piece. I said, you, you read that column by this guy, didn't you? And he said, yes. I said, look, you're able to talk about the column, but you're not able to talk about the studies. You've got to read the studies. And we had this back and forth. All right. The next thing I know, this was on a Thursday. I get a call from my department chair. I think it was the following Monday. And he said something like, did you tell your students not to wear masks? <laughs> I said, no. I said, as a matter of fact, I told them pointedly, I am not telling you not to wear masks. I made that crystal clear. This is an intellectual exercise. I mean, NYU has a strict rule. So just regard this as something you're studying. I also, said, you're no. on Zoom. So nobody's wearing a mask either, right? Exactly. Right. You're not even in person. But anyway, go ahead. I know. I know. <laughs> right. So I said, I had them read these studies. And he said, well, I'm going to have to tell the uh, COVID uh, you know, uh, task force, whatever it was called. I said, all right, you know, uh, and, then, and then he told me, I think he told me that a student in the class was on Twitter complaining about the class. And, and uh, my wife was hearing from all these old friends who were saying, is Mark okay? You know, it was bizarre. So I went online and, and the student had been so infuriated by my suggestion. She missed the first week, so she didn't hear me say, 
also read the other studies. She took what I was saying as an instruction not to wear masks, et cetera. And she, first she called the bias hotline at NYU and they told her quite rightly, there's nothing we can do about this. You know, he said something in class, there's no bias involved. She reported all this on Twitter and she was outraged by this. Mm-hmm. So she then tweeted a demand that NYU fire me over this and sent all these other tweets with screenshots from my website, which is called News from Underground. It's markcrispinmiller.com. And, you know, it's just news items I was sharing with people, information I was sharing with people. And it's the kind of information that will make a person uncomfortable if they had no idea that it's the case, right? But for this young woman, the stuff was just self-evidently false. And she said it's from all far right and conspiracy websites, which is just completely false. She didn't know what she was talking about. But it was this stream of tweets, very venomous. But the thing is this, the thing that really shocked me, okay? Students get unhappy. Ordinarily, they bring it up in class. I would have preferred that. So this was unprecedented to me, but it was not in itself that big a deal, but it was a big deal and is still a big deal, is that my department chair tweeted his thanks to her Mm. and said, and this is a quote, we as a department have made this a priority and are discussing next steps. Publicly, he he tweeted her publicly. Yeah, his his tweet is still up, okay? Mm. This, we've made this a priority, this being my termination. Nobody had talked to me from the department. I certainly wasn't included in the meeting where they decided this. I think I'm, I think I may be the senior member of that department. And all of a sudden they have collectively welcomed this over the top tweet from a student who didn't really listen carefully or know what she was talking about, had an emotional reaction and they jumped on this. The next day, the Dean of the school and the doctor who advises NYU on its COVID rules, which are really draconian at NYU. I mean, there are lawsuits over them, they're insane. These two guys emailed my other students directly without putting me on copy, telling the class that I had given them dangerous misinformation and sending a list of what they called authoritative studies from the CDC for the students to read and to believe. See, I never would do that. I didn't right. tell them what to believe. These two guys did. They mm-hmm. stepped in. And well, I've already me. heard hotline and task force. And you know what I mean? Like <laughs> when right. there's a hotline and a task force for something, I mean, exactly. it's like. Well. Exactly. Right. Okay. The third and last strike against me in this phase of the assault was that my chair then pressured me to cancel the propaganda course for this semester. I said, why? <laughs> He said, it'd be better for the department. I said, why? He said, well, your film course is very popular. So if you teach two sections of that, instead of one section of that and the propaganda course, we'll have nice high enrollments and that's good for us. All right. The problem with that is that both classes have the same limit of 24 students. They're both very popular. So that was transparently false. That was not the reason. Mm -hmm. They wanted to get rid of that course. Now. This semester, I'm on medical leave, so I'm not teaching anything. 
But that aside, the fact is that this whole episode really got to me. It rankled me. It seemed to me to be wrong and all too typical of that year, right? Yeah. And all too typical of the direction of higher education for some time. There's something you cannot talk about. You bring it up, you're engaging in hate speech or whatever, you know? So some friends helped me write um, a uh, petition that's up at change.org, which people can sign if they like. All it does is ask NYU to respect my academic freedom and set an example for other schools by doing so. But I did it in the name of all professors, journalists, scientists, doctors, whistleblowers and activists who've been shut down or persecuted for their dissidents. And it's been going on for decades, right? So it was really basically saying, this is a flashpoint in a much larger struggle for the preservation of free speech and academic freedom. Is tenure a thing here? You have tenure? Isn't that what that's supposed to protect? I mean, is that the point of tenure? Yes, bless you. Yes, that's what tenure's for. But ironically, very few tenured professors actually merit that protection because they don't take any risks in their teaching. You know, if a one student unhappy, you know, provides a liability to the dean, and then he says stop, that's kind of like that equals tenure. Like those two processes, they don't. don't, It turns out that's a fifty-fifty. I guess then. No, (laughs) it doesn't make any sense. Um, You know, they all believe. They all say they believe in academic freedom. I think the dean and the doctor said that in that letter. We believe in academic freedom, but you know. Um, listen, guys, I got to go and uh, plug the power cord into this computer or you're going to yeah. lose me. Okay. Can yeah, you go ahead. It? Yeah. No worries. While he's doing that, it, it's interesting. Like, uh, just thinking back to like when having Robin Hanson on and how much he valued tenure. Right. Yeah. yeah but yeah. maybe that's going away. It's funny now. It, this is very strange for me, but having grown up in the South, I remember hearing from the the right side that tenure was dangerous because those tenured right. professors were going to trick you into not believing in God anymore and take yeah. away, you know, they're they going to be on the liberal side. And and now you see, you know, professors like Mark and then Robin Hanson who are actually trying to really get real ideas out there without being slaughtered, if you will. And yeah. now it's the opposite side. This isn't yeah, a right, right or left or Christian or atheist no, debate it's just at all the anymore. Same, th- same forces, though, all at play. But either way, the people who are willing to ask questions that people don't want you to ask, they get labeled, targeted, tarnished. Like, either way. That's what Robert right. Hansen does. I mean, yes. he, he's willing to go to places where people don't want you to be fucking asking questions. Right. Don't do that. <laughs> don't. I mean, yeah, you're good. We're free. We want to have good students. I like academic freedom, the dean says, but just don't do that. Right. Knock it off, okay? Can we just get back to doing the thing we do, please? Is right. what is what it is. <laughs> I wonder how much in college nowadays, uh, did, did you all have a history class where you did role-playing, where you had to like be a senator from like pre-Civil yeah. yeah. War? Yeah, and yeah, argue yes. for slavery, mock right. debates, and so, yeah, yeah, I used to I do stuff to, like argue for. Yeah, exactly. I was some pro-slavery senator and had to stand up in front of the class and tell them why slavery is good. Yeah, <laughs> you had to, they made you do. Yeah, imagine doing that. that was my, ma- yeah, I was playing a historical person. That, and I had to research yeah. his position on slavery. Um, why? Yeah, to yeah. learn. I mean, yeah. but that is how you learn stuff. So you but for next still, time you'll know. Does that still happen? That's you know. 
I wonder if that's even possible. Well, that's one of the costs of the, of suppression of, you know, I'm not trying to get into some ideological thing and say free speech or anything or whatever, but it's just it uh-huh. is suppression. Uh, it's a social force of suppression that has real costs. I mean, you can feel it in many right. areas. And, of course, when the whole mainstream is focused on one, you know, when everybody's focused on the same thing, it's just very, very easy to, to just – you know, try to squash things that make you feel not good. Yeah. You don't well, want that feeling. There's it's a just, real disrespect for, I mean, we, we've talked, how, how many times have we talked about education on this podcast? But the idea is, little you, bless your heart, you can't handle real information, we will show you. Yeah. Like that, that, that feels like everything now. Yeah. You, you're yep. too dumb, you're just too normal, you're not going to be able to understand this, and so we will help you. We will share this with you. We will show you how things are actually done. And then it, it's just disrespectful to you as a human and to your brain and, and yeah. even thinking stuff. I, I get it. You have to be careful. People don't, you know, people screw up, and it's dangerous if false information gets out there and it's believed. But we're headed into a time now where – Anything can be false and believed. I mean, yeah. like I've I've been watching that on TikTok. The, y'all, y'all seen the TikTok? Uh, um, what's his name? The the deep fake of Tom uh, Cruise, Tom Cruise? Yeah. Mm-hmm. and it looks unbelievably real. And I'm like, oh, we, we're headed to the next. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, you won't know who you're talking to or what. I mean, the I mean, I, it's getting very. Did you see the Joe Biden thing where he walked out and it looked like it was he was on a green screen? It, uh, behind the, it was very strange. I, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm like, I don't know. Let me tell you, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it is very strange. I mean, right? I mean, yeah. You know, no one really thinks that like our president now is has full capacity. Right? I saw a weird one where his like hands really were like uh, going in and out of like other objects, like it, like right. it was, it was, green it was a microphone. It was a, yeah, it was a big fuzzy yeah. microphone, and his hand went. And I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, that is a that is a green screen. Why they? Do, Maybe there's a reason. It for behaved it. the same but way just give as us when the your green screen glitches. Yeah, right. Yeah, it did. You can just so. you can just give us the reason there, but it's very bizarre. I mean, like the, the, the Mark. I don't know if you're back yet, but the, we we're just talking about Biden and and some green screen stuff and like the propaganda behind the the messaging of like how Trump captured a certain group and now Biden seems to be hidden and just kind of there. And uh, anyway, I don't want to get off what we were talking about with NYU, but we were just, while, while you were gone, we were kind of talking about that stuff. Well, I know I've, I've been following that stuff. It's extremely interesting. You know, I mean, I've, I've heard that Biden is a hologram. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would not be surprised if he was, if there well, was I'm, also a, it would, to me, there'd be a Joe Biden and sometimes occasional use of hologram in certain instances. You right. Know, that would make, so. that'd be reasonable. I mean, it's possible. Well, anything's possible. Look, we know that um, in his, I think his second debate with John Kerry, Bush had a, a you know, a thing in his ear. You heard about this? He was no, I haven't. He was being well. The New York Times actually this is fascinating. I'll get back to my plight, but I got to tell you this story. The Times uh, put some reporters on this um, issue because there was clearly a, a big rectangular bump on the back of Bush's suit coat. And and at one point, uh, Bush was talking, and he suddenly said, "Let me finish." And nobody had interrupted him. You know? <laughs> so it, it seemed quite likely that he was being fed 
responses to carry, you know. Mm-hmm. And the Times got hold of a guy, uh, an expert in this kind of thing, and he verified it. He talked about what it was and how it was shaped, and clearly Bush had been wired. So they had the story nailed, but the Times didn't run it. They said it was um, it would be wrong to run it before the election, <laughs> which is <laughs> typical of the Times, you know. So protecting the public from the truth. I Protect guess they wanted the Bush. Yeah, yeah. Right. So um, in this last round, you know, you know, the debate that Biden had with Trump, um, he, he was unusually lucid, Biden was. And uh, some, I think it was Gateway Pundit, one of the right-wing outlets, ran some close-ups of Biden's sleeve, and you could actually see uh, the end of like a, a, I don't know, a grounding wire or something was, you know, he was being fed lines too, evidently. So, I mean, from doing that to uh, presenting a hologram of Biden, right. I mean, we had a virtual inauguration. The whole thing could have been fake for all we know, because there was nobody there. Right. I mean, we're getting into very uh, spooky territory here. Sure, but, sure. Uh, let me, let's go from the yep. spooky back to the, just to the yep. sorted and I'll, and I'll um, finish my story. Um. So I was, you know, put up the petition and a lot of eminent people signed it, like got 32,000 signatures all around the world. It's very gratifying. Well, a month later, a majority of my department colleagues apparently were so incensed by the petition, it infuriated them. They interpreted it as an attack on them. They said it was an attack on the department. It doesn't even mention the department. They sent a letter to the dean demanding what they called an expedited review of my conduct. They accused me of discouraging students from wearing masks, which I didn't do. They accused me of uh, intimidating students who were wearing masks, which I I didn't do and I couldn't have done because nobody was wearing any. That was just the beginning. They went on from there to accuse me of hate speech, attacks on students and others in our community, advocating for an unsafe learning environment and microaggressions. So it's like every sin in the social justice playbook they charged me with. They presented me as this sort of alt-right bully who comes into class from spouting insane, groundless conspiracy theories and insisting that the students believe them, which is the total opposite of the way I teach. They sent the dean this letter. They didn't even talk to me. Throughout this whole thing, nobody has talked to me. And the dean emailed me and said, I'm ordering this review. He didn't even talk to me. And he sent me the letter. That's the first I saw it. So I asked the provost what to do, and she said, ask him for a meeting. So he and I met this way, and uh, he was very vague. He said, well, the university lawyers told us that we had to do the review, which is actually untrue, because legally there's no grounds for this. It's interesting that the university lawyers did that, though, and he ordered it. 
I said, well, what will this entail? And he said, well, we'll talk to people. I said, what people? He said, faculty and students. I said, what faculty? They've never seen me teach. I said, okay, students. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was what? All right. I said, okay, well, in that case, I'm going to have students send you letters in my defense. He said, okay. I said, when will this end? He said, by the end of the semester, which would have been mid-December. Well, here it is, uh, just about April, and um, I haven't heard a word. And I think that's because of what step I took, okay? Right. My colleagues wrote this letter that was just a pack of lies. Just every claim they made about me was false. And I went through it point by point. I rebutted it. And I said, I you know, respectfully ask that you retract this and um, apologize. They ignored that. And I wrote them a second time. Again, requesting a retraction and an apology. They ignored it. So I realized I don't have any choice here, okay? I can't let this go. This is wrong. It's got to stop. There's too much of this going on. I'm going to sue them for libel. And that's what I'm doing. I'm suing them for libel. The department or the school? The signatories of the letter. The signatory, the people in your department as signatories of a letter that defamed or slandered you. Yes. Lawsuit on that. Yes. There were actually 25 who signed, but I only am suing 19 because I'm not suing the junior faculty because I don't know if they felt pressured or not. Maybe they didn't, right. but it doesn't make any difference. The others all know me well enough to know that, that this is insane. At least I hope they know it. And um, so I sued them. And they, uh, after requesting an extension, they submitted a motion to dismiss. All, all the legal papers are on my website, News from Underground, you know, markchristmiller.com. You can read, it's very interesting. A motion to dismiss with a lot of exhibits as proof of their claims. And the exhibits are full of email exchanges that they had with each other about me. I mean, they'd been exchanging emails about my classes for years. I had no idea. Never asking me what I was saying in class. You know, they'd get some agitated student coming in and complaining that, oh, he said this. Well, it's probably not what I said, but they didn't ever check with me. Right. Would, so would they would they consider you like long before this year, before the pandemic, it seems to me that maybe your department people had always seen you as a squeaky wheel or causing trouble or something like they may have had some opinion. Yeah, were about they you. looking for something you think to get you out or? Oh, I think that's definitely true. You know, there, there was. Um, I'll tell a little story. There was a faculty retreat. Uh, in February of 2019, I think it was, when we spent the day trying to discuss the future direction of the department. And there were breakout sessions at one point where the whole group broke up into little groups and each little group discussed a certain aspect of the program. And one group was formed to discuss the area of politics and media. And that's my area, but I wasn't in the group. And each group then presented its conclusions. 
And in, in reading the conclusions of that group, this colleague said, the next hire we make in this area uh, must not be a white male. I thought I was hallucinating that somebody would say that. Right. I mean, that's actually against the law, right? Right. But, um, you know, the department is uh, diversity obsessed. And as is mm-hmm. typical in higher education, diversity only means ethnic, racial, and gender diversity. It actually means uniformity ideologically. You yeah. follow me? Mm-hmm. There's no yeah, the real ones diversity. that are left out of there are uh, neurodiversity, age, and uh, uh, you know opinion, uh, schools of thought, ideology, you know, and ideologies. Those are the diversities. Thought, yeah. yeah, those those diversities are not valued as much. No, but I think I think they probably give neurodiversity a shot. Yeah, that, that that was going to work its way in su- to some somehow. But right. but there's a lot of accesses of people. It has to be the same. There's lots of other types of diversity that that are lacking, at least. So even diversity, good idea. Let, well, I, there's many axes to deliver. Well, yeah, exactly. So the point is, I think that you know the, the politics of the department is such that want to get rid of me, not just because of my, you know, my age and 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 sex uh, and race, but also because. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really an activist, and I really have taken risks, and I have been blacklisted by both the right and the left. I've really grappled with the powerful. Um, you know, I, I mentioned my activism before. I, 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 I spearheaded the faculty resistance to an enormous real estate expansion plan here in Greenwich Village. They were going to put up four enormous towers and destroy the neighborhood. and we mobilized against this and it was a very successful mobilization and I was a very public critic of the university you know that that I mean I didn't see any alternative I wanted to protect the neighborhood but that none of them do anything like that right nothing they all write in terms of theory they theorize this and they theorize that and it's all completely abstract and kind of incomprehensible at least to me so I think that there's a kind of a resentment right. there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, there are types of people who can't really stand to have um, someone who isn't on the team. Yeah. I mean, my relations with them all have always been quite cordial. So I was really taken aback by this. So some of these people signing, uh, it, it kind of blew my mind. You know, I think one of the things that's just the most abhorrent about all of this is, it are we really at a stage that no one can just come and talk to you? Like this, the the student went to Twitter instead of, hey, this is how I feel about your class. Right. They could have had a a decent conversation with you, a, a, a cordial conversation. And you're going to say, well, this is what I said the week you missed this, you know, but to be able to go to, to the world and say something that really isn't fact-based, it's just some feeling or just some thought or some idea. And then, uh, for the faculty, just to back that, but honestly, their biases against you of what they thought or think of you, as opposed to what's true. It, right. I think they sign that just because what they want to think about you, as opposed to 
any real research, any real data. Like one of the, I've been thinking about the funny joke lately of what actual research is now. You're right. Like you said, one of your students, it, you can just go to Google, type something, you know, in your underwear and type something in while you're eating Cheetos. And the first thing that pops up, you go, well, look at here. Told you you're wrong about that mask thing or this uh, COVID thing or the, you know, whatever. And it, it, there isn't real research. It's not vetted. No one's really going deeper about it. And, and you're actually exposing some of that, uh, not only with your class, but now with this, this is just some ideas that people have that might not be true. And, and so I, I wanted to ask you, so how, how far is the lawsuit right now? Or is this, is this going to be ongoing for a long time or where are you at with it? Well, I'll tell you exactly. Cause it's, it's important. The timing of all this is important. It's why I'm grateful to you guys for having me on now. Um, they filed a motion to dismiss. We responded to the motion to dismiss and then they replied. Okay. That's the process. The process has come to an end until the judge rules, and he could rule at any moment. He could either grant the motion to dismiss, in which case we will appeal. He could deny the motion to dismiss, in which case we'll proceed. Or he could request oral arguments from the lawyers. Any one of those is a possibility. And I want as many people as possible to know about this to be conscious of this, I have a GoFundMe page where people can donate to help me cover the cost of this lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And the, I'm quick to say this money is going into an escrow account that my lawyer is managing. So I can't, you know, pull a Ken Lay with it and, right. and you know, go off to Bermuda right. with it, as much as I would like to go to Bermuda. <laughs> uh, this is all about the lawsuit. I feel very strongly about it. And it's not just for personal reasons. Of course, I'm, I'm very angry and um, disappointed that they have done this to me because my teaching means a great deal to me. Mm-hmm. And in our documents, we submitted the over 50 letters that former and current students and visitors to my classes over the years have written in my defense. And they are the only bright spot in this whole miserable ordeal. Um, they show that I'm a devoted teacher and I derive not only pleasure from teaching, but a kind of optimism because the student who tweeted against me is an outlier. You know, I have found that even those who disagree with me get a great deal out of it. And many have said the courses I teach are life-changing, you know, and unusual in their experience at NYU. Unusual for one thing, and that I don't enforce any kind of groupthink or orthodoxy, and I encourage them to speak even when it's not a popular thing they're going to say. Okay, so in that sense, my classroom is a safe space. But I, I overheard your conversation when I was getting the cord, and there is this kind of condescending attitude that my colleagues have to the students. They see them one colleague used the expression impressionable students. Mm-hmm. She said, it's not right to uh, talk about masks this way with impressionable students, you know, as if they're toddlers, I have to protect from this dangerous knowledge. Yep. And I suggest masks don't work. They'll all stop wearing masks. I, I, I treat my students as adults. You got to treat them like a youth group. <laughs> yeah. 
just <laughs> keep them well, safe. Don't tell them what they need to hear. Don't don't let them make any mistakes. You know, it's just that youth group vibe. Like it's just the kids. It's for their safety. We gotta keep them safe. That's right. It's, it, that that's work. Right. That message is hard to oppose in yeah, any I, way I for any reason. They're intellectual equals. I mean, they're not as well read as I am, you know, or as experienced. I mean, I've been around for a long time, but. Uh, they are my equals, and I address them as equals, you know. Mm-hmm. And if, if if I disagree with them, I just tell them, you know. But somebody said earlier that, I think it was you, Toby, that um, people's feelings are being overvalorized, you know. Somebody's feelings are hurt. Mm-hmm. That, that suddenly becomes a fireable offense, you know. Right. Uh, but if you're challenging students and you're demanding they come up with evidence for their claims, pushing them that's not doing them harm it's doing them good but you know it's crazy right well i mean even with my own kids if they can make a valid strong argument to me about something whether it be they want to stay up late or you know they want to play a video game or this video game's if they can make a valid argument with a little bit of you know detail not just i want to then I can actually listen and we can have a real conversation. I want them to do that. I want to have that discourse with them. I want to experience that conversation and that dialogue with them. The, it, where everything goes wrong is to go, well, this is what I think, but there's nothing, there's no foundation in it. And, and that's what really bothers me so much about what has happened to you is it's just one person can go on some app and say, this is what I think. And it's believed. I mean, yeah. if that, if that, if that's the case in your story, how much is that happening everywhere? Well, that's, we, I mean, that's horrific. Yeah, it is. And it's happening all over the place. I've heard from a lot of people. Some of these stories have been reported in the media, but many haven't. It's, it's kind of standard operating procedure now. And, and it is a way, you know, for administrations, college administrators to kind of keep a tight rein on faculty, you know, I mean, especially in my case, I was a you know, strong public critic of the institution as a corporation and what it was doing with real estate. Mm-hmm. I'm also a named plaintiff in a class action suit against them for mismanaging our retirement funds. You know? Yeah. Well, I'm exactly the kind of person they'd love to do in by having someone accuse me of um, putting people at risk right. and of engaging in hate speech. Okay, right. so there's the COVID propaganda, there's the social justice propaganda, and I'm a conspiracy theorist. That's the, all right. three of those uh, weapons have been used in this attack on me. You know, I call it the censorship trifecta. You know, I'm, I'm guilty on all three counts. Right. Um, but my strong feeling is that you, you can't just sit back and take this stuff, you know, because yeah, if you, you do... That's the end of free speech. That's the end of higher education, which only becomes training for compliance. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I have to say, our exchange here, I think, would be impossible uh, among most of the liberals and progressives I know. You know, I mean, I've been on the left my whole life, but I don't recognize this left at all. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. Not left. It's something. Right. Maybe left along Chinese lines, but um, you can't have you can't have a spirited debate with disagreement in it. Right. Uh, well, Toby and I grew up the opposite way in the right and in evangelicalism, and we do recognize it. 
We have seen this before. This this looks exactly like (laughs) the the propaganda I was given. I mean, I I was told, you know, I that's what's so wild about this, Mark, is that I was told, no, no no joke. You know, I grew up in the eighties in South Carolina uh, with church and even in school that you professor were dangerous. If I went to college, you were going to lead me away from Jesus. And I better not listen to any of your ideas because if I listen to your ideas, I'm impressionable and I'm going to go that way. And guess who's going to get me? Satan. And now it's just, they, they took a, they just changed the word, the verbiage a little bit. It's the exact same propaganda. Don't yeah. listen to that guy because he's dangerous and he's going to make you go to hell in, in, a, in a sense. And what the, the saddest part about this is you are going up against what doesn't seem very much like an educational institute. It seems like some corporation, this you know, some business, right? It's, it's more seems like a business yeah. entity in a sense that that doesn't the the, the students are products, you know, the are customers in a, in a sense. Not uh, you're not there like you're trying to educate people and let let them think outside the box, and then that's very dangerous now. Well, so it is. They, they just want the, just a simple consumer. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, if, if you want a sense of NYU's business practices, um, we formed a nonprofit when we fought their um, real estate project. It was called the, the Fa- NYU Faculty Against the Sexton Plan. We named it after the school president at the time. And the last thing we did, we did a lot of, um, uh, uh, we wrote a lot of documents and stuff. There's a, a study called The Art of the Gouge, which was an analysis of how they squeeze money out of their uh, students uh, in ways that are often hidden. And you can find that online. This whole attack on you in this year must really feel like an attack, and it's a very isolating feeling. So just to be able to say that to people, I'm sure – um, is good. I want to make sure you have every opportunity to 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 share that as all. Well, I appreciate that, and that that is uh, actually a poignant way to put you know what it does feel like. It's really startling. Uh, a lot of people have stepped away from me, um, so I sort of know how dissidents in in more explicitly totalitarian systems must have felt. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard from a total of one faculty colleague at a university with an enormous faculty and she's untenured uh, and she had the guts to write a letter in my defense. Uh, A number of my department colleagues did not sign the letter, but I haven't heard from any of them. And I went to the local bookstore here, Mercer Books, used bookstore, uh, and I know the guy who runs it. I went in there and he said, hey, you have a lot more faculty support than you realize. <laughs> I yeah. said, no kidding. How come I didn't know that? He said, well, they must be afraid to contact you. Well, I mean, that tells you a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, it's and the, the chilling of, of everybody is more... More than the small amount of people that wind up attacking individuals, the fact that every normal person has very chilled speech seems to be really where the big effect comes from. That all of us are way more careful means all of us share way less inf- good information. That That's the result. Well, that's true. And it does indeed. Um, I guess it was Toby, or maybe it was you, Matt, mentioned before that NYU is sort of less like a school in the sort of ivory tower sense than a corporation. NYU is very corporate. 
the board of directors is a lot of movers and shakers on Wall Street and in the world of real estate. And uh, some are from China, some are from Abu Dhabi. You know, I don't think they're necessarily devoted to liberal arts education. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a kind of tension there between the business orientation of the institution and um, the constant drive to raise as much money as possible and, you know, uh, sort of suck it from the student body. And, you know, the mission of higher education, which should be teaching people not only to, you know, engage in critical thinking, but also to appreciate works of beauty and importance. That's an incredibly corny thing to say, (laughs) but I have a very old fashioned notion of what, you know, proper education should be. I find that more and more, and I'm going to quote a Japanese student of mine who said to me, higher education is just teaching students how to take offense. You know, I thought that was very well put because there's just a lot of that, you know, Mm -hmm. finding grounds for attacking someone for something they said, you know? Yeah. And that's where the charge of hate speech comes in. And that's based not on anything I've done in class, uh, but, or I should say less on anything I've said in class than on a few things I've written online uh, about transgenderism, uh, the ideology, not, not any persons, but the movement. And I have serious concerns about what they call transgender medicine as practiced on young children. Mm-hmm. And the medical community is divided over this, but no one's allowed to talk about it. I think that's a serious problem. Mm-hmm. And I also have a problem with males, biological males, competing in girls' and women's athletic events. I think that's just wrong and unfair. And I object to it on feminist grounds. It's going to do away with women's sports. And I, I'm perfectly ready to argue about this. That is what they consider hate speech. Well, that you know, they probably should give you the big five personality test and just demonstrate that you're clearly high on disagreeable. Like, you know what I mean? You just are willing to disagree. If there is disagreement to be had, you don't shy away from it. You probably have some compulsion that doesn't allow you not to, you know, you, like you have the, you have a compulsion to not lie is another way to say it. Oh, or I, to I not sure you put it that way. Yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, that's a spectrum of a personality trait, disagreeableness. Now, on the other end of it is extreme agreeableness. And that's a, that has all kind of liabilities as a personality trait, you know, and there's, but you're probably on an extreme end that continually puts you into when something like, it's not that you're an activist or care about women's sports ever before, but when it comes up, you don't, you know, some people say you don't have the sense to stay quiet. And that, and so it gets you, you, you know, you're probably a person that's been, disagreeable your whole life and get into hot water but now the environment and the stakes and the temperature of everything is turned up so you find yourself in hot hotter water and i'm sorry that you have well i yeah i appreciate that funny thing is i've always really kind of been in the same place you know yeah. i mean i have people i used to surprised. know back in the day will message me on facebook and say what happened to you what happened to you how come you're saying these things I say to them, nothing happened to me. I believe in the same things now I believed in 20 years ago. You know, I'm anti-war. I'm, I'm, I'm against too much corporate power. I, I believe in strengthening the working class, you know, protecting the environment, women's rights. I believe in all that stuff, you know. Um, but I have to admit that the last 13 months 
has caused me to modify my views on some things, you know, especially as the so-called left has become more and more vindictive and censorious and really kind of hateful. Mm-hmm. The more I find, you know, aspects of conservatism and libertarianism um, refreshing and important. So I'm not as quick to embrace certain positions uh, as I used to be. You know, I have more respect for gun rights, for example, than I used to, and the importance of small business. And I really do believe uh, that, you know, religion can, can provide some, something valuable, a dimension of life that, that, that's lacking. You know, I'm, I'm readier to say that than I used to be. And, um, you know, as popular culture, so-called, becomes more and more perverse, and sort of sadistic, uh, you know, it really does kind of make me wonder what's going on here uh, on the spiritual dimension. If you, if you take my point, I, I do. Uh, yeah. We're, I mean, we're in a, a, like you said earlier, a great reset of many things and a realignment of many things. I mean, so it's, you know, it's going to be chaotic <laughs> for, for a while, but thank you for being somebody. Uh, thank you for spending time with us today. And we get to understand your character and who the, the person is behind, you know, you hear about controversies and this and that or whatever, but it's quite interesting to put, put a face and a personality and a character to, you know, situations that are going on that, that, uh, you know, they have a, enough impact to be covered in the news and told about or suppressed by the news, whatever it is, that's yeah. it's something. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed this a great deal. All right. Mark Crispin Miller, uh, make sure you go to his GoFundMe. It'll be linked in the show notes. Um, man, I really enjoyed that episode. I just I, mm-hmm. like, I think propaganda is fascinating. I wish we could just have talked about propaganda more. You know what I mean? Like, I, I hate that he's going through all this and trying to defend himself and just the class. I mean, he's, he's offering a class in exactly some of the tactics that have been used against him. Isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I know a lot of people, I mean, he's kind of right about being tagged with conspiracy or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not a good tag. And, uh, you know, it, 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 he even makes me uncomfortable with some of the stuff he says because it sounds too conspiratorial for me. Right. But this a really weird situation if you're in any, what does it mean if you see yourself as, the center like you see yourself and your positions on everything to be balanced right, right. that's how you yeah. come at them from your point of view all your positions are balanced yes. so you think when you are a normal person who thinks they have balanced opinions there's an asymmetry because on one side of your balanced opinion you give leeway now this is not on every topic like let's just say it's a topic like tax rates well i think i'm in the middle of a balanced position and people some people think it should be more some people think it should be less, right? And neither one of them are threatening to me. But one of the when you get in these high social things like conspiracy, like or being labeled as a right winger or anything like that, there's my balanced position. And then if you go any farther towards conspiracy than me, I go, oh, that's too far. <laughs> it shows you an asymmetry in my position because if you're less conspiratorial than right. me, I think, well, that's you. But I'm here balanced in the middle. But if somebody's one iota more conspiracy, conspiratorial than me, I think, oh, shit. Right. You can't do that. Because <laughs> it's the stigma. I mean, the stigma is yeah. very real. <laughs> I do wonder what's going to happen. I, I I mean, I know Robin Hanson on our, that episode, he thinks that 
college is going to last because it's the tradition of it and it's a good system. And all. I think it's gone. But uh, I do. But he thinks it's going to become bad and not free speech and author- we're headed toward authoritarian place. Yeah, I, that's well, part of why he disagrees with you because he thinks this institution's locked down and entrenched and are shitty. He's not saying they're good. I, what I, so it's going to be the worst possible c- case scenario where you can't get rid of the fucking thing. Well, maybe he's right, but for me, it seems more like the real thinkers will have to find a new uh, venue. Uh, and when they do, it might be really awesome. I mean, well, that might exist too. That something on t- instead of college that's maybe. Well, I think people are going to say. Better, well, but. I mean, here's the real truth. I mean, student loan debt is horrific, and no one's going to go. Yeah, sign up for that. That's just not going to happen in the future. I mean, it, it, I mean you th- you're going to tell your kids, yeah, take on a lot of debt so you can get some job making how much? No, well, if they can go to NYU, can you imagine how my aristocratic friends would view my child if they were at? I'm shipping them off to NYU. I, I mean, just can't there'll wait. be a, there'll, there'll be a few rich people that do that, uh, the aristocrats yeah. or whatever. But uh, that just, I mean, that doesn't that that's not going to be the normal person. I mean, I right. I should not have gone to college and got student loan debt. I have a lot of student loan debt. I should not have that. Somebody should have said yep. no, Toby. No, 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 no. Now, it helped me. I, d- I wouldn't have met you if I didn't go. I wouldn't have met my wife if I didn't go. All the, you know, I mean, all the things from that student loan debt, I think are super valuable and worth it. But, I mean, for the most part, it seems really silly. And, and it seems silly, too, that up until 12th grade, it's paid for. But then... What, well, we might 13th get a, grade? Some ref, we might get some of those things changed, you know, and how it gets paid for might not, could change, you know. Well, maybe that'd be good. I don't know. But then who knows we what they'll teach We might forgive the student loan debt and make college free. Lord, I hope but so. But would that mean it's going to get really awesome? No. <laughs> it ain't going to get awesome. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if it's good right, and we make it universal and free, right? do you think it'll get better? Ain't, get, ain't getting better. <laughs> You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it ain't getting better. It'll only get worse. It's the end of it. I mean, we're in the simulation. It ain't real anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I'll tell you what is real, Matt. This uh, old Bad Christian BC Club. I'm telling you. If you like what you hear, if you like these guests, uh, if you like what's going on, and you want to meet some like-minded people, why don't you join the BC Club? You've been listening for probably years now. Uh, Now's the time to join. So just do it. If you don't, then eat shit. We'll see you in there.